The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. The staff took a walking tour this last Wednesday. It's a tradition that we started at the end of the first year that I was here because that year we had a significant budget shortfall. It was the confluence of a bunch of different forces, building issues, the assumption on pledges that was a bit optimistic and something else that I've completely forgotten. Anyway, it wasn't a big deal, but we couldn't end the year with a staff celebratory luncheon anywhere pricey, but we hit on this great idea. We would leave the church and we would just go for a walk to, on a kind of urban pilgrimage, you might say, and we were guided by people who'd grown up in San Francisco, and we were guided by people who were new to the city, but incredibly voracious in finding places that they loved in their new city home. We walked up to Grace Cathedral, wove down through Chinatown, and then through North Beach, and down to Fisherman's Wharf, where the minister's discretionary fund treated everyone to a lunch from the iconic In-N-Out Burgers. <laughs> I think the whole event cost less than $100, and we had a grand time. So we've continued the tradition at the end of the year, and this Wednesday, we did drive to the mission, for what Laura Ludwig nicknamed our walk and taco. It was part two of a tour, the beginning of a tour that um, Matt Anderson and Luann Schulte took us on earlier in the year. We started with the murals of Balmy Alley and we ducked into uh, El Faralito Taqueria on 24th and we were gonna go to my, I had touted it so much, my favorite taco truck, El Gallo Giro, but they weren't there for the first time ever, so clearly we have to do something else later in the summer. We got Italian ices on mission as a New Yorker, that was great, some people had never had Italian ices. Went to Clarion Alley and then finished with a hot beverage at Dandelion. It was great. On our journey, though, we stopped at Prestida Eyes Muralist Center. It's a nonprofit center. Some of you probably know it on 24th Street that supports collaborative murals as a means for self-expression, but also social change. And there, Jonathan and I found a postcard of a mural that we didn't see on our walk, but immediately felt like we needed to share today. It's the one that's on your cover, although our covers are not color, because we're out of color at the moment, but you can see how vivid it is. The Johnson Family by Bob Gayton. All I could find out about Bob Gayton, the artist, was from a book, Walls of Heritage, Walls of Pride, cited by someone else online. Gayton, quote, was a boxer who painted the first outdoor mural in San Francisco's Fillmore District in 1972, a wall of respect-type image featuring portraits of prominent African Americans. During the late 1970s, he was employed by CETA to paint murals in Juvenile Hall in San Francisco. I don't know if 
the Johnson family portrayed in the art on your cover was a famous or prominent black man of San Francisco or the United States. Maybe someone can tell me more and I'll add it as a footnote um, to the service or send it out in the flame. What I do know is just what I and most people walking by take in from the image. This husband, this father, and all it invites me to think about this day. Nothing brings us more into relationship with ourselves, I think, than relationships. Nothing holds up a mirror like someone else's face and their responses and their requirements of us. Dating and marriage and friendship and any intimate relationships make us face how we show up when we're asked to and required to. Are we welcoming and giving, or a bit quid pro quo sometimes? Are we conditional? Are we leery? Are we distrustful? Are we needy? Are we overly solicitous? Or are we grounded and willing to engage wholeheartedly, as Brene Brown likes to say her favorite word, wholeheartedly? Are we able to both give and receive in this fluid flow between human beings. And if that is true, this bit about how relationships ask and require us to show up, parenting does that in spades. Because it asks us to show up in a relationship that is of service of surrender, almost, to be the grown-up in the room <laughs> as often as we can. And let me make clear from the onset that when I say parenting this morning, and I will use it because it's easy and shorthand, I mean all the other forms of caretaking. I mean step parenting and aunties who step in parenting and grand parenting and big brother and big sister parenting. We all parent the world. And we know when we're doing it, the parenting thing, because of what it asks for us, right? And it will always be, if it's parenting, that relationship that is, should be, asks us to be in service, in surrender, being the grown-up in the room as much as we can to some vulnerable life in formation. And that asks a lot. No one gives you a certificate that says, now you're a certifiable, qualified grown-up. Instead, you go from being someone's kid in the world to a somewhat liberated person finding their way, full of imposter syndrome among the grown-ups. And then someday, imposter or not, the world requires of you to be on the other side of the equation. It anoints you. And it anoints us in any number of ways with responsibilities that are compelling, with the need to pay bills or show up to work or the full legal consequences of our actions. And it anoints us when a child shows up. It anoints us when we have that obligation, that ask, to make that a priority in our lives. And we're here this morning, Father's Day, to bear witness to this piece of life. No matter what, 
as we named earlier in the service, everyone in this room has been on the receiving end of the shaping that fathering does in its presence, in the wild array of ways that fathers and those who fathered us showed up in our lives, and shaped too, if what we had was more absence than presence. Either way, folks, we learned something about that piece of life, didn't we? About how it affects and alters the course of a life, of a growing self. And depending on what we received, I bet we each resolved different things about our way forward in conversation with that experience. And it's interesting and worth mentioning, too, as we move forward in this world that is challenging and rethinking traditional notions of how we are all allowed to show up in the world authentically, and in particular, dismantling some unnecessarily gendered ways of thinking and scaffolding to also be talking about Father's Day. I'm not sure that I have done all my work in this regard, and I I'm pretty clear that there are people in this room whose life experience, as well as deeply searching minds and hearts and spirits, have done more work and have more wisdom in this area than I do, and I look forward to learning from you. But I am certainly aware that 10 years ago and 50 years ago, for sure, we would have talked about the requirements of fatherhood in different ways than we probably will right now, which is funny. Because actually, it has never been the case that women-identified and male-identified folks have given only in particular ways to the children and young lives in their lives. Single parents famously will name to you the ways in which they had to give the whole or what the child needed or as close as they could come to it. And parents, I think, have always given what they had to give, as much of what their children needed as they could. And we've all needed whatever lessons that they could give, right? Each of us has needed to learn from someone, anyone who could teach us how to be strong, how to be tough, how to be that way when we needed to endure, and how to be tender, and how to be yielding, and how to be vulnerable enough to risk trusting connections. We have needed someone who would sometimes, somewhere, hold us up to high expectations, letting us know that they thought that we could rise to them, and people who would stoke our curiosity, the range of it, and who would invite us into playfulness in the world and indulge us and delight in us. You should have seen the faces when we were getting Italian ices, I have to say. And I was like, get whatever you want, get ice cream on it, whatever you want. People trying flavors like, you want to see the face of people delighted to be indulged the way we just don't get to be indulged anymore? We all need all of these gifts 
that people once showed us how to delight in in ourselves. We've needed to know, of course, how to cook a meal and how to build a career and how to fix a flat tire and how to sew on a button and how to manage our money and how to be held accountable and how to step back up to the plate literally or figuratively after a strike or a pink slip or heartbreak. All those things that would help us to survive and thrive in the world day to day. Whatever life would throw us as much as they could prepare us for. And it didn't really matter who passed the lessons along, right? We just needed to get them and fathers, those who fathered us in this life taught us some or all of those things, what they knew of them. But when I reflect on what we all need to be fully human and equipped for life, besides people passing on these specific lessons or examples, there's this other piece of late that I keep coming back to that I don't think I would have named earlier in my life. And it's actually there in Gayton's mural, which is why it's on the cover of your order service. At least it's there for me. And I know it's coming at the end of the sermon, but it's not just a footnote. It's actually <laughs> what I hoped to get to. There is this lesson in life that if we get it by osmosis, by example, maybe by explicit teachings too, that's more than golden, I think. I think it's platinum. It's about the gift of someone, not someone who's perfect, but someone who gave what they knew, shared what they had, what they gleaned as best they knew it or could see it. As many of the lessons as they thought we might need that they could offer up, and who passed along their passions, their love of physics, or horse racing, or red beans and rice, or the designs of the stars and the heavens. Someone who loved us as best they could, and someone who could apologize when they were not as loving as they might have been, an apology I hope we all are really good at giving. And in the whole of who they were to us, someone who modeled a kind of comfort in the who of who they were. Not that they weren't in growth mode, that they gave up on reflection or deepening. I hope, God, I hope that all of us keep doing that even until we're stepping into the grave, that we're in that work, that generative work of deepening and growth. Mia Birdsong in her book, How We Show Up, says, that the vision of life that brings us closer is one that, quote, allows us to be vulnerable and imperfect, to grieve and stumble, to be held accountable and deeply loved. All of that is part of it. 
this need we have, I think, for people who show up in life in its wisdom and ignorance, in its success and shortcomings, grounded in the whole of who they are and what they made of life, trusting in the whole of it. Reminds me a little bit of the body prayer we do sometimes, how at the end we gather up the blessings of the day and we press them into us, and then that last gesture where we offer us in this vulnerable posture as we are to the world, just as we are, whatever we have to give. At gathering up each day on the journey and saying, hey, this is what I've got. This is the best that I've got, and it's yours. I'm yours. Like Manisha's story, right? He knows high-end cosmetics and wants to be an artist, and I'm a former diplomat, Unitarian Universalist minister, and we want to be part of a beautiful life, and this is what it looks like. This is who we are, and we're yours. Like the dad in the mural, he's that for me. Look at him, he's there, he's got his comfy white t-shirt. I imagine it's a Saturday afternoon, one arm around the person who I think is his partner, and look at it, she's kind of disinterested and distracted, and I don't know, maybe she's in a bad mood, it's hard to tell, and their kid is shy, a bit leery, and they're holding him close, maybe until he grows more comfortable and safe in the world, which I hope he will. And the dad, he's so relaxed. He's so happy. Like all the dynamics of his life, his, theirs, this is as good as it gets, as my husband likes to say. This is as good as it gets, and it's good. And he's going to love life, this life, for all the gorgeousness and texture of it as it is. That gift of contentment, of grounding contentment, of authentic presence to what is and who is for you in them, I think it's actually one of the most subtle, gorgeous gifts that we can give in this venture of parenting, wherever we're allowed to do it. It says without saying, no matter what, this is good, and you, you kid, you're part of it, so settle in and ride it out and do your best and offer what you have. Each of us is stamped by genetics and environment. We are shaped by choice and accident to be a certain kind of person. And we're going to have our limits, and we have our possibilities, and we have our gifts, and we have our struggles, ones that are ours to wrestle all of it into something that feels meaningful for us. And we can model all of that, right? Because we can only love the world always and forever from this place, from the one we occupy right now and right now and right now, love it as best as we can from here. And isn't that enough? What else has a parenting presence in the universe ever been able to do but this? What else can you and I do to love the world but this, but love the world from where we are and teach our young to do the same. So may Mr. Johnson, in his white t-shirt and slacks, family, whoever they are, held in close, 
This perfect vision for me of a contented, deeply contented person loving the hell out of the world be our icon on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Thanks to everyone here who loves the hell out of the world by being authentically themselves in service, generously holding your arms open, vulnerable, to offer who you are and what you have, to bless the world from where you are. May we do so. Amen. My father said he never met anyone like her. It was a love explosion, he said. Jim, she said, you get to choose, she told him. June 19th or the 4th of July. That's how we do it in Texas. The white man lets us choose which day we want off, July 4th or Juneteenth. Don't you know Juneteenth up there in, where you come from? Hackensack, New Jersey? You never heard of it? Texas is a funny place. You don't mess with it. And it's one of its strong black daughters, my mom. She hit my father like a ton of bricks, or so he said. He in flight school, she just out of her sophomore year in college in Sherman, Texas. I won't be traveling this way again, he said to her. All right, she said. And two months later, they were married. Lord, guard and guide the men who fly through the great spaces in the sky. Be with them, travelers in the air through darkening storms or sunshine fair. That hymn has stuck with me since I learned it, and I think of you, Dad, whenever I remember it. Years later, the flight suits long put away, he's driving me up the 405, that 10-lane wide concrete creature that winds its way through Southern California after a weekend visit home dropping me off at UCLA before he doubles back to that beehive of aerospace buildings that hug the airport with their strange names, Raytheon, TRW. Huge gray buildings with no windows where he worked. You know, Richard, you have to keep moving no matter what. I know, Dad, you told me. And I love your mother, he says. Yes, and I love your mother, he says again. Strange conversations. I remember thinking, I have my own problems. Not yet out, dealing with coming out. My high school crush who would become my first partner and break my heart into a thousand tiny pieces. And yet there he was my dad, next to me. Weak people will be drawn to you, Richard, he said. Never let them tell you what you can and cannot do, he said. You're not making any sense, I thought, but I love you. If I'd only known what was coming, 
I would have thanked him for those words a thousand times over, and I am thanking him for those words and his ways right now. Here I am at my own harmonic convergence of Father's Day, Juneteenth, Flag Day, my 65th birthday, and celebrating Gay Pride Month all at the same time. You taught me how to hold these things, the unity and freedom of Flag Day and my birthday, to be proud of the country we helped build, the historic triumph of Juneteenth, June 19th, to remember that our people survived and thrived, the personal inspiration of Father's Day, those odd but cherished conversations on the 405 that only later in life would fully reveal themselves, and in the affirmation of my full identity I found during Pride Month. Son, you said, never let them tell you what you can and cannot do. You helped me find my way by showing me a way. You took a road less traveled, and so did I, and we are so much the better for it. Together, I in body and now you in spirit, we stand. I at the intersection of all of these narratives, shaped by the strength, resilience, and love of freedom that each of these dates represents. It's a beautiful intertwining. And it started with a love explosion in Sherman, Texas, between a woman and a man that by his own words didn't know what hit him. Happy Father's Day.